we are going to be this morning back into some of these parables again. And you're going to notice, I'm going to talk, preach for you moving from chair this morning, and you're going to like, oh, what's going on? We'll talk about it. But as we get, come together, would you pray with me that God would work in your heart this morning? Would you pray that His truth, as I've been praying to prepare, but also that it would be meaningful to you this morning and significant? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are our God, our strength, our provider. You are our grace. And God, You are sufficient. I pray specifically now, as we open up Your Word, we look into Your Word, that it would touch our hearts. That we would be convicted, we would be changed, we would be moved, we would be motivated. God, because your truth is enough to change us. Your truth is enough to sustain us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you see, you might think, and it feels different, when you've got someone up here just sitting and talking with you, got a little bit of a different feel than if you have someone standing and they're preaching to you. It's reminiscent of perhaps, as Normal pointed out, when we, um, President Roosevelt in his fireside chats. It might remind you of a different teaching style. And that's kind of what we're talking about when we begin to talk about parables. Um, oftentimes, the teaching style that Jesus had it wasn't necessarily that he was standing and teaching thus, but yet sit together and discuss it, him sharing truths. And it's really interesting when we start talking with these parables because there's often two parts to these parables. There's a part where there's this public declaration of this truth. And in the same way that um, Matthew records it for us, and we looked at this last week, when we're Matthew chapter 13, he says this, all these things... Jesus said to the crowds in parables. You could almost read that stories, because these are stories, and they're a story with a truth to them. And indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And the prophecy was this. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hid since the foundation of the world. You say... Yes, he shares that publicly. But yet then there almost seems to be another truth to that he, and at times reveals that to them. So that's why, perhaps, I want to try and try something different and sit and talk with you this morning. But I also can't quite do that without coming very clear in my mind of another time when I often taught sitting. And that was when I was teaching English as a second language. So just to give you a feel for that as well, um, this morning, you already know English, so I'm not going to teach you English, but I'm going to teach you some Turkish. So, this the word for the day, merhaba. Merhaba. And then, this is going to get harder. Hosh balduk. Hosh balduk. So, okay, merhaba. merhaba. Now, I'm going to say something different, but you're going to do the hosh balduk. Hosh geldiniz. Yeah. Now, and then if I was to carry on, I might say something like this. Burada olmana sevedim ama Turkçe idil. Buyudin İngilizce kunuşuna. I'm going to speak English with you because your Turkish isn't so great. But yet, 
there isn't, there's a reason why, though, in the English classroom, I would sometimes sit to teach. And it's that idea of coming down on the same level and understanding that we're in this together. And it's unique. I find it very unique that oftentimes Jesus may not have taught necessarily standing, necessarily this way, even though he was absolutely in a different class, in a different way than these disciples. He was the teacher. He was the great teacher. But yet, taught in parable. This morning, if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Matthew 13. That's where we're at. We're going to talk about a parable here. If you don't, feel free to listen. I'm going to read through this, but I'm going to talk as we go, and we're going to walk through this together. So Matthew 13, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 24, if you've got it there. But this is where Jesus shares yet one more parable with them. And he says this. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field. While his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds, the weeds rather, appeared also. The servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, How do you want us to go out and gather them? But he said, No, lest the gathering of the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds together fast, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barns. Honestly, it's a little bit difficult when, if that's all the truth you got. Because you're like, okay, well, here was a story. Here was a good farmer, and he sowed in his field. He actually knew what he was doing, and he sowed this good seed. But yet at night, this, uh, his enemy came, and he sowed weeds in his field. And you're like, what? But then his servants recognized this, even though they couldn't necessarily tell all of what it is. He's like, this has happened. There's now weeds in among the good wheat. And master, what, what are we going to do about this? And there's some sense in which they almost thought, well, can we go out now and get them? There was enough difference where they thought that they could. But the master was saying, no, for the sake of the wheat, no, I want you to wait until harvest to gather them in. And if that was all the truth that we had, we'd be stuck with that problem, perhaps, of these same Disciples, in the same way that that's what he shared publicly. And that was apparently sufficient. But yet to his disciples, he shared more. So if you have your Bibles, I'd say go down a little further. And it's actually right below what I had read to begin with here. And it starts in verse 36. And this is his explanation of this. And he said, and he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. So he starts here, this good farmer, that is the son of man. And that's the words that Jesus used to refer to himself again and again, the son of man. And it was also a reference to him being the Messiah. So he says to him, like, so that's the person here. That's the one who has sown the good seed. 
in verse 37, sorry, he answered, or no, sorry, 38, the field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So you see here, he's now referring, he's identified who these, the wheat are pictured here, who the wheat is, uh, that of followers of Christ, sons of the kingdom versus those who are not. The harvest then, at the end of the age, the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Example there, yeah, those who are not followers, it would be to be burned, says here. So the Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there, in that place there, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you're familiar with the Bible at all, you'll notice that, that expression, weeping and gnashing of teeth, it'll sound familiar to you. And you'll say that, oh, I've heard that time and again in reference to hell. That, that's an expression there that I, I've heard that many times. Or in 43, it says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun of the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So you see here described then this parable. And he's sharing with them about the fact of these son of man, these followers, then also these who are that not. I'll give you a little more background though for that. The wheat and the weeds, the likely weed here was a bearded darnel, it's called. And, and when, when it's actually shortly after it's planted, it is very hard to tell the difference between that and wheat. And in fact, it's almost foolish, I guess, to have thought that these servants thought they could have told the difference. Because when they are young, they are very hard to distinguish. Another part of it is that the, the roots of these two plants are, would have intertwined. So even if they had correctly identified the weed and pulled it out, they would have likely damaged or perhaps even pulled out some of the wheat. And so these are informa this is information and background that those audience would have automatically understood. It's not the same way for us. We don't have the bearded Dardanelle here, as far as I'm aware but yet to give you some context to that. But what we do see here is an example where that these two very different plants, very different individuals, didn't necessarily look so different when they were young. When they were small, it was actually hard to tell the difference. And so then it starts to us to raise questions of what do we learn from this? What what is my takeaway from this? I'd say one of the things that we start with is the idea here that we ought to be quick to share the truth. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and write it down. I ought to be quick to share the truth. And the reason I say that is if you're looking at this from the outside and you're realizing that it is difficult to tell what is a true wheat versus a weed, I then, as someone who should be sharing the truth, need to be quick to share that truth. I need to realize that I can't just so quickly look and say, I know what that person is. I know what truth they already have. I know what truth they already understand. No, I, I can't make that assumption. 
And I find it interesting, and we're going to turn over then to, well, you don't have, you can stay in Matthew if you want. I'm going to turn and read a few verses for you in John. In John 17 is where I'm going. And this passage, to give you a little bit of context where I'm going with this, this would have been a time when Jesus, it's shortly before going to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's just before he would have also then been betrayed by Judas. So this is near the end of his ministry, and and when he's referring to them in this passage, he's going to be talking with the disciples. He starts with this, he says, I do not ask for these only. I don't ask for just these disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So pairing that back to that parable, what he's talking about are not just the ones that he had immediately sown, but also then those that these disciples had sown also. And he says this about the the whole group together, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, and I are in me, and I in you. He wants these believers, all of these believers, both then, now, and all the way to today, to be that same, to be in one. He says that, so that the world may believe you have sent me. Or in verse, uh, let's see, 23, it says, I in them and you in me, are they may become perfect one perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. In that same way here, as we're looking at this picture of the world that's being painted in this parable, you and I need to fall into that same example as those disciples. At that point of that, the great teacher was gone away. But yet those disciples were still there. They still had that responsibility to share that same love, that same truth. And then when we look at the picture that's painted before us here, how great is that need? When you realize that you look around and you may not just know. You may not just be able to tell, that's a believer, that's a follower, that's one. And i got to say, that almost seems more and more applicable today. Because I look around, you, you, you've heard that word, all of Christendom. Have you ever heard that Christendom? When they, that big word is used? It, it talks about Catholics, Methodists. Uh, it actually sometimes even refers to Christian science, which honestly that is outside of um, orthodoxy and everything else. Just saying. But that word is so big. And, and so when people use that word Christian, it gets really muddy. It gets really confusing. We then, our response, ought to be quick to share the truth. And quick to realize, I should not avoid sharing it with that person because I think they already got it. Or making the assumption that this person over here just automatically doesn't. We ought to be quick to share that truth. But also then a follow-up, and the second thing is, we ought to be slow to judge. So I was saying the first thing to note down, quick to Quick to share the truth. We should be slow to judge. And the reason I say that is you looked at this, back, we're back in the Matthew 13, in the, the parable. Notice that when this harvest was to come, and that was at the age of this, the end of the age, 
that's when Jesus is saying, I will send the angels in as the reapers then, at the end. It's almost reminiscent to what we perhaps already know and hear pretty often is the idea, by their fruit you will know them. Often it is not just automatic and clear. And we ought to follow the example of what he was saying to his servants there and saying, no, you think it's apparent and you can go and pull these weeds out. He's saying no. He says this is not the time for that. Now as much as I'm saying that, we'll explain, that that's probably going to raise some other questions when you start saying be slow to judge. But I do think there is a principle that not be premature. Because that's the idea here. It was once it came to maturity that harvest you knew. So it was not that there was never an answer. It's not that it was never clear. But there was this idea, wait until it is mature. Wait until that has shown what was inside. That's the idea here. And we need to be careful not to necessarily jump the gun. So our response before judging ought to be sharing the truth. But that's not to say that we never judge. Um, because looking, looking back, Matthew 7, because this is, a, this is one of the passages a lot of people might turn to and say, don't judge me. Matthew 7, verse 1, it says, judge not that you be not judged. And they would then say, Jesus' own words said, don't judge me. Have you read the following verses? I'm going to read some of them for you and follow along. So he does start out, says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. So the idea, you're going to get judged, but make sure that your, your judgment you give is fair and just and right, because that's the tape of judgment you will get. And with the measure you use it, we measure to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you may see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The idea is not that there is never judgment. It's not that there's never, it's never apparent. But it's it's not premature. It's that this judgment needs to be just, it needs to be fair, it needs to be right. But there's also one additional question that might raise in your mind. He's saying, well, is then Jesus saying that we don't judge anything in the church? Because if you thought about that, well, but notice what he had said, that the, the picture of the field was that of the world. It was not necessarily that of the church. And so, because you look at then other passages, other teaching that make that clear, it, turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians, and it says there, and I'll, I'll get there and I'll read it for you. But in 1 Corinthians, uh, it says this, in chapter 5 and verse 19, Or sorry, verse 9 rather. I wrote to you a letter not to associate with sexual immorality. But he explains that more. He says, not at all meaning that the sexual, sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or idolaters, 
Since then, you would need to go out of the world. He's saying, yeah, that's present in the world. And I'm not saying that you never have any association with them. But, or the other side to that, and we're saying, verse 11, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what I have, what I have to you with judging outsiders, is, not the, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? And there is a sense there in which we're applying that back to this parable and trying to describe and trying to understand there is a distinction then between inside the church or just in the world, but there's also then a distinction of those who call themselves Christians, those who do call themselves brothers, while we are to be slow to judge. And sometimes that is the most urgent word that is necessary because just, and again, part of the reason I'm sitting down to try and share this with you, when I look around at people that I closely associate with, people I know and I love, I at times feel like I need to urge them to be slow to judge. Be quick to share the truth. But that is not the same then as others who need to be reminded that is not that there is never judgment. That's not that there, ever, there is never, this is what truth is. This is what the gospel says. If you are going to claim the name of Christ, it means this. And that this is simply that Jesus is the Son of God. He came to this earth to save sinners, which all of us are. All of us need that forgiveness. He came that we might have life and life more abundantly. If you start denying that essence of the gospel, then I will quickly tell you, you have missed the boat. And I will, with as much love and compassion as I can muster, share with you that the Bible says this about Jesus. And if we're going to disagree about Jesus then we do have a problem. But then also, as we kind of near that, as, and we start to say that as much as I'm saying be slow to judge, and the fact that there is though judgment, it might even raise the question, and I hope it's an honest question, if you looked at this parable and you saw that there's clearly two types of seed here. Those who are followers of Christ and those who are not. Which am I? As much as I'm being slow to look to someone else and say, you are this, I would encourage you and urge you this morning to know the answer to that. Know the answer to what do I believe about Jesus Christ? Where do I hold Him? What hold does He have over me? And with that, I want to I want to turn and then we'll end in one of my favorite passages. It's Romans chapter 8. And just as a note, if you see in my Bible, there's a lot of marking on these two pages. Um, I find it great comfort here because Paul, in these sort of passages, he, follow, he starts in chapter 7 
sharing about the way in which he doesn't do everything that he ought to do. He starts there and he says, I, I, I feel as though there is this battle within me. And so this is someone who is a believer, wholeheartedly sold out to preach the gospel, live out the gospel, and he is even saying that there is a battle within me over what I ought to do and what I actually do and what I should do and what I don't do. He's saying that that is a battle, that there is a battle of the Spirit waging within him. So when I ask that question, am I a follower of Christ or am I not, it's not just do I always do everything I want to do. But then he carries on more and he, in the beginning of chapter 8 he starts talking with this is what life in the Spirit is like. And there's that realization that if you have grabbed a hold of this truth that Jesus is the Son of God and He is my Savior, it is going to change you. And in the same way I use that terminology, you have grabbed a hold of that truth, that truth is going to get you and hold on to you. And that it will change you. It will change your desires. It will change the direction you are headed. And that's where I would look more towards, um, see chapter 8, maybe down to verse 14, where he says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That if that Spirit has begun a work in you, yeah, that's evidence of it. Or perhaps verse 16 where it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There really is an evidence of that. And as much as in this picture here, there is an ending to that. That these we, the wheat and the weeds are not always indistinguishable. It's not always that there is no difference. But they do come to maturity. And it takes time and all of that, but it does change them. And then in the end, it does become apparent as to what direction they are going. What has a hold of their heart, where their beliefs are. And it reminds me very much of um, an expression I've, heard a long while ago, but I, I really do like it. And it's this, that I'm not the man I want to be, but praise God, I am not the man I used to be. It's that evidence that this walk we are on, it is an ongoing struggle. But that if you are holding on to this truth, it is changing you. And it's not just that I have, there's no difference ever. No, it is not that. And that's where I come and end in this idea that we should always trust the Lord of the harvest. That is where we stop. Because in this world where everything seems uncertain, we need to be able to grab hold of something. And what that is, it is truth. But it's a person, it's Jesus Christ. And so that's why I would say that we should always trust the Lord of the harvest. And that's where our rest on a personal level ought to get to and then rest there. And so then you look back and you say, this is only then a simple truth that we've looked through. Or this parable, he's saying, there was a good sower, this good farmer, and he's there putting out the seed, and he, and he laid out this, 
that this is then the followers of Christ. There. But yet there, the enemy came in and he says that that is Satan. And sowed those in there amongst it who are actually enemies. Who are not the same, but they are difficult to identify. And then, but yet at the end, there is, when it does come to maturity, there is an evidence there. There is a difference. There is that which is wheat. There is that which is weeds. And he sent, is to send in his angels. And he said, part of that truth that we're to share is that there's a, there is a harsh reality out there. Like, I don't want it's much as it's not pleasant to dwell there, it is important and the most loving thing we can do to allow people to also know that there is a truth, there is a judgment. It's not right, it's not caring, it's not loving to simply deny that when the Bible does share that. To hide that seems the most unloving thing you could do. No, there is a judgment coming. And it is all resolved back to what you are making and saying and believing of the Son of Man. And that's when you have that difference between the wheat and the weeds. And the weeds will be gathered up and cast into eternal judgment. But yet those who are then of the kingdom, of the kingdom of God, as it uses the expression here, they will be, you know, to be with the Lord. He says, it's gathered into my barns. That picture there of, I didn't know heaven was going to be like a barn. But there it is. So as much as this isn't, doesn't have to be a difficult truth, I think it's one that bears rem- us reminding. That reminder to be quick to share the truth and the whole truth. That quick reminder of that I ought to be able to be slow to judge. Now, in that slow to judgment does not at all hinder the first part of being willing to share the truth. But I ought to be willing to be slow to judge. And I ought not to prematurely judge. But at the end, for all of those, that difference of that harvest, all of it rests in always trusting in the Lord of the harvest. That's where it stops. And I am going to stop there. I know it's a minute or two early. I'm not going to get into the next parable just because it would, it would take a little more time than we have. But I want us to say then and think on that. That as much as this can be a hard truth, it is a truth that we can also take comfort in. And I do hope that you can say that, yeah, I am one of the weed, or sorry, the one of the wheat. <laughs> and I can also say then, I can look back and say, I even though I am not the man or woman I ought to be. Thank God, I am not the man or woman I used to be. That there is evidence of change. That change can be in my desires that I actually want to seek after Christ. That change can, can also come, begin to come out in my action because as you live, it should be coming out of you as to in your words, in your actions, in your responses, that they're not unchanged.